Hello, welcome to the Revive for the Journey podcast, where we give you this week's message from Cove Church. We pray that it blesses you and helps you grow deeper in your journey with Christ. Enjoy. Well, hello, Cove Church. It is so great to be with you again today as we begin a new series, a series called Kingdom Virtues. You see, it's been my desire to talk about uh, the goodness that a church or a person who loves Jesus should be engaging in in their life. And the reason I want to talk about because there's an awful lot of not good out there, isn't there? Certainly in, in people, but also in churches, just a lot of not good. And, and I get it. I understand where we're all broken. We all need grace in our lives. We understand that. But that would never mean that there isn't a kingdom ideal that God would bring to us and say, I understand the hell that you're walking through, but here's what heaven looks like. I want you to bring that to the world. So that's why we will start this series today, all about kingdom virtues. There are seven of these kingdom virtues that throughout history have been identified from scripture. And we will begin today with one that I had to look up what it meant. (laughs) It is the virtue known as prudence, uh, to be prudent. It's not a word I use a lot, not a word I hear used a lot. As I recall, I think George Bush Bush Sr. used to use that word, you know, wouldn't be prudent. I think there was an SNL sketch around that. But to me, the word sounds a lot more like somebody's aunt. You know, hey kids, come on over, give a big hug to Aunt Prudence. That's what it sounds like to me. That's the connection. So it's not a word that that I hear a lot in, in my normal conversations. Uh, I had a general sense of what it was about, but not a great understanding of its significance in Scripture and in the kingdom of God. So knowing that and knowing that maybe you're in the same place, allow me to offer a working definition for us. Let's start there. Prudence, careful, wise discernment, the avoidance of rash behavior or speech, the good management of talents and resources, and the showing of tact and wisdom in relationships with other people. Now, knowing that is the definition. It's hard to imagine a more important value to cultivate in this time in history, isn't it? Because rash behavior, mismanaging resources, and an undeniable lack of tact is not the exception in our world. It is the rule. Just look at Facebook for five minutes and you will see rash decisions. You'll see reactions. You'll see stuff that is not well thought out. And as the pressures of life increase and the trauma increases, that rash behavior increases. It is a digital barfing. There's a lot of that out there. It's not all of that, but there's a lot of it. It's a reaction because people are responding to pain. It's like I have a friend uh, who had had a wood shop and he was a woodworker and he's working along and he cuts off his finger. 
I know, that's a, that's a horrible thing. I mean, I know it shouldn't surprise us like every woodshop teacher I had in school. They never had all their fingers, but this happened to him too. So he cuts off his finger. And so he's in shock. It's a trauma in his life. It's a pain in his life. So what does he do in reaction to that pain? He starts to organize his shop. <laughs> he starts to put stuff in place and, oh, I should really put this over here. He's in shock. He's bleeding all over the place. He's bleeding all over his tools. Yeah, I should put this here. Oh man, I think this should go here. That's what he did as a reaction to the pain. Now, gratefully, I think in his case, they were able to, to find his finger and actually reattach it, which is better than a friend who told me just a few weeks ago, he was on a job site and, and a guy lost the tip of his finger, and, but it was still inside a glove. And so they said, okay, we'll put the glove on ice and then we'll reattach his finger. So they got him to emergency, brought the glove, and they realized they brought the wrong glove. There was no finger in the glove. So he didn't get the finger that time. Well, what are you going to do? All of that to say, our culture is reacting to pain, even maybe reacting in shock. And that pain can lead to a deluge of rash behavior and also to a drought of prudence. So for us as kingdom people, where Jesus says, I want you to be salt and light, if, if we are then called to live out this virtue of prudence. So what does that look like? Well, here's the first thing. Prudence gives boundaries to our speech. Prudence gives boundaries to our speech. Let's look at Proverbs 12, 23. In fact, let's read this together. Big voices go, a prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims folly. Or take James 1, 9. Let's read this one together. One, two, three, go. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Put it together. And you get to this truth regarding prudence. That smart people listen more than they talk. And fools talk more than they listen. Mark Twain said it like this. It is better to keep your mouth closed and let people think you are a fool than to open it and remove all doubt. This is one of the first metrics of the virtue of prudence, this idea of measured speech. And yes, we've all known people that say, well, I just have no filter. If I think it, I'm just going to say it. You're just, that's just me. You're just going to get that. Could you really imagine, though, if we all lived that way every moment of every day? I mean, yeah, I, I understand what it's like to, to listen to a message, like of a preacher like me. And I know many of you are just hanging on every word. You're just hanging there on every word. But I also know some of you are thinking about tofu right now, right in this moment. Why do I know that? Because I've done it. I mean, not tofu, it would be bacon in my case, but still, I know how our minds wander off. Some of us are thinking right now of that friend who's mad at us, and we're not sure why. Some of us are thinking, why do puppies smell so good? Or, or, or we're thinking about the fact that if you put one lasagna on top of another lasagna, you still just have one lasagna. So many things that go through our minds, these are the things going through our heads, but I'm not going to blurt that out at every moment. Here's the truth. 
The Bible tells us to take every thought captive because some thoughts should not be free range. (laughs) Some thoughts should just not be let go out there. But there are people that wear it as a badge of honor. Oh, if I think it, I just say it. I don't want to be fake after all. Here's where that idea breaks down. Measuring our words is not the same as twisting them. There are so many circumstances in life where we know that, yes, I need to respond, but we also know I do not need to respond in this moment. In fact, I shouldn't respond in this moment. Because the words we use, they're like a pie that we bake for others to consume. And that pie is filled with the ingredients of our our thoughts and our opinions and our emotions. And we've got to give that pie some time to fully bake. Now, not like the marijuana thing being fully baked in that way. That really doesn't help with communication at all. Okay, just so you know, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that what these scriptures point to is that the best reaction often is not the first one. Our best reaction often is not the first one. The best reaction is the one that has been laid before Jesus with a heart that says, Jesus, you tell me what I should say. Jesus, you tell me what I should write in response to this. Now, all of that can happen in a millisecond. It's an amazing thing with Jesus, but we have to allow Jesus into that process. We have to allow him to speak into it that we take a moment amidst our response, whatever it is we're responding to, to say, Jesus, you have access to this. And we come to Jesus and we say this, this is what I'm thinking of responding with, but this is a first draft, Jesus. You be my editor. What do you think about it? And Jesus is so amazing because he'll, he'll get out his red pen. <laughs> And he'll say, well, let's, let's cross this out. Um, why don't we say it like this? Or he'll say, I really don't think that's what you mean. I think you actually mean this. And he'll write that in for us because he knows us so well. Or he'll say, actually, right here in this part, that's just gossip. You just have to repent of that. We're not, not going to say that. You just get to repent of that. Or he says, right here, this is, this is your hurt talking. Why don't you let me heal that wound so your hurt doesn't speak quite as loudly? And sometimes Jesus will take that first draft and he will take it and he will tear it up. He'll tear it into pieces. He'll say, don't say anything. Don't write anything. Put your phone down. Walk away because I didn't call you to speak about that. I didn't call you to write about that. I called you to pray about that. Now you say, where did that idea come from? It comes from Jesus. <laughs> John 12, 49 For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. Jesus spoke only what the Father told him to speak. That was their relationship. And he invites us to the same kind of relationship with him. But get this, Jesus was perfect. And yet he still 
operated that way. Don't you think in our imperfection that we could use a little bit of editing from God regarding our communication? Often, I think, we see great and courageous communication as this straight line from thought to word. I think it, I say it. Wow, that's just great. Just let it all out there. Just don't tone it down at all. But prudence says, what if we invited Jesus into that process? What if we invited Jesus into our response? What if we gave a space where Jesus could adjust us? What if we gave Jesus a chance to change us in that moment and even heal us? It seems like if we allowed that to happen, that those words would be of the greatest value because they would reflect the words and the truth of God. Prudence asks that of us. Prudence gives boundaries to our speech. That's the first thing. Here's the second. Prudence gives guidance to our actions. Let's look at Proverbs 1, 1 through 4. Let's read it together. Big voices, go. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple. <laughs> A few things I see here. One is that prudence is not just expressed in words, it's also expressed in action. In fact, prudence is really the action of wisdom. It talks about doing what is right and just and fair. See, Jesus often spoke to the Pharisees about their religion that was made up of many flowery words, but very few compassionate actions. That their beliefs never seemed to take the journey all the way from their hearts to their hands. And I can point a finger at that and I can say, well, how lame those Pharisees were. And I can proudly walk in the understanding that I know so much better. But even in my knowing better, it doesn't guarantee that I act any better. I have to ask myself, well, who's the Pharisee now? So prudence becomes this invitation to align belief with actions. Because again, this is who God is. There is never a difference between what God says and what God does, right? He said, let there be light. And what happened? It was. There's never a difference. But me, I can say it. But it doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to do it. I can say, this is, this is what God says about joy. Or I can proclaim, this is what God says about healing. Or here's what God says about provision. Or here's what God says about peace. But just because I say it, it doesn't mean I act on it. Now, every now and then that's a good thing, uh, especially if maybe you haven't yet allowed Jesus into your, your thinking. Every now and then that, that, that's a good thing. Like, like this week, um, I, was, I was in a meeting and I, I knew 
my a good friend of mine, Van Clemens, was going to be there. And so I, there was something I'd been waiting to give him, this gift I was waiting to give him. And so this meeting was, it was at a house, and it was a breakfast meeting. And I, I went and I brought this gift with me. And so the breakfast meeting got over. Van had actually walked to this house because he lived real close by. And so um, the meeting got over and, and I had to go, but Van was still sticking around in the meeting. So I just called out to him and said, Van, I got something for you. Um, I, I want to give it to you. It's, I, I know what I'll do. I'll just put it on the hood of my car and then uh, you can get it. And think about that for just a second. I was about to drive away. <laughs> and Van looks at me, he's like, what did you say? I'm like, I'll just put it on the hood of my car, and then that's, you, you can get it when you, when you finally leave the party. And I'm like, finally it dawns on me. I'm like, oh, that's not a good idea at all. I mean, was it like some kind of test? I'll put it on the hood of my car. I'll drive home. If the present is still there, then you can have it after that. It made no sense at all. It, 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 it was a silly thought. So this is an instance where not doing what I said I would do was a really good thing. I, I left it in the driveway for him. But too often, the reverse is true, especially when it comes to expressing our faith in practical ways. That we have powerful words, but little action. Yet prudence wants to instruct us in what is right and just and fair. This is to guide our actions. That those descriptors, descriptors mark not just what we say, they mark what we do. So how do we live that out? Well, here's the key from the last part of that passage. Prudence is not resident in us. It's received by us. Prudence is not resident in us. It is received by us. We are not naturally prudent. We don't naturally act right and just and fair. Anyone who has been around a toddler will agree with that. We naturally are selfish. In fact, this passage is even harsher. It calls us simple. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Simple. Which certainly next to God, every person who has ever lived is simple. So because of that, Prudence, then, is this introduction of a non-native species into the ecosystem of our lives. We don't start with it. We don't just have it. We're not born with it. God has to give it to us. But the good news is, God loves to give good gifts to his children. Here's a great example of it, Matthew 7, 9. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? You say, I don't know how to have prudence in my beliefs. I don't know how to live out what I believe. Ask Jesus for help. Jesus is not some dead idol that we forged out of our own hands. He's alive. And if we understand that the only way this kind of change happens in my life is if God does it in me, giving prudence to the simple, 
Well, then let's ask God. I remember uh, years ago being with some friends going to the movies. And uh, we walk into the, the lobby. And as we're walking into the lobby, one of the, the guys who does the tickets uh, approaches us. He's like, good evening, gentlemen. And we're like, hello. And he's like, you having a good night? We're like, yes, we're having a good night. And, you know, it's, it's going great. And my friend who I was with is like, you know, it would be an even better night if you just let us into the movies for free. And the ticket guy looks at us and he's like, okay. <laughs> we're like, really? <laughs> this is amazing. I guess we can get popcorn now. So that was terrific. So he let us in for free just because we asked. Hmm. Now, I'm pretty sure it doesn't work that way every time in the movies. But these passages tell us that God wants to give us prudence. So let's ask. Because prudence gives guidance to our actions. That's the second thing. Here's the last thing. Prudence gives understanding to our relationships. Proverbs 8, verse 12. Let's read it. Big voices go. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence. And I find knowledge and discretion. So here, we again see that wisdom and prudence are intersecting together. They are roommates. They, they live together. That wisdom is found within prudence, and prudence is the expression of wisdom. Now that's very cool, but then the proverb continues with this truth. Not only does God want to help me know how to think, God wants to help me know what to do with how I think. Knowledge and discretion. And again, I can't think of a better time to gain some of that knowledge and discretion. Not just to know stuff, but to also know what to do with what I know. This idea of discretion, it's so powerful to me. This week, I, um, my costume for Heydays arrived. You know, it's always superhero stuff. I won't give it away, but it's all, it always involves a certain amount of spandex and, uh, and that, that sort of thing. And, and I think they make these in countries where, where the people are, are much smaller, so their sizes are never quite, quite the same. So I got their largest uh, size, um, and I put it on. And, uh, and ultimately, as I was, you know, parading around in front of my wife and my son, they're like, you know, we really think you should probably put some jeans under that and maybe like a sweater, uh, some kind of a parka, um, because there's just some things you can't unsee. <laughs> and we really don't want everyone who, who, you know, sees this costume to have to have counseling later. So why don't we just, uh, just decide that now? And it was really a good decision. Trust me, it's a really good decision. You'll be glad uh, when you see it that that was the, the decision that was made. And it was a decision of discretion. Really, really an easy decision in that way. Especially easy when it just comes to clothes, right? Sadly, I think maybe we can make good decisions around that with clothes, but we've forgotten what discretion means in relationships. What does discretion look like in relationships? Because in our culture, we think that my pain is also my permission. Meaning if you hurt me in any way, 
I am then free to declare that hurt to anyone who will listen. Now, understand what I'm not saying in that. I'm not talking about abuse or covering for abusers. I'm not talking about stuffing our wounds and never sharing them with safe people. No, what I am talking about is the garden variety disappointments and frustrations and hurt feelings and offenses that we experience every day as human beings. And that when I experience those, I do not have to put you on blast. Sure, you didn't measure up to my expectations. Guess what? Welcome to humanity. Paul and I, when we, um, this last summer, we went to Woodburn for an evening doing shopping and that sort of thing. We stayed at a place there. Went to a restaurant. And uh, immediately when we got to this restaurant, the, the server lady was telling us how shorthanded they were and how, man, it's, it's going to be, you know, tough tonight. And I just wanted to, you know, set that expectation for you, really, you know, haven't been able to hire people back. And, and so she, she set that expectation. So our expectations were really low going in. And as the night went on, um, it actually got worse from there. It was just worse ser- service. Um, and, um, but we're having the, these interactions and the, and the services is continuing. And um, as we're having these interactions, we both of us start to feel like we're supposed to give this server a really, really good tip. Like, like not just a kind of good tip, but like a, wow, did you mean that kind of good tip? And uh, we're, th- we're having this conversation, and the night goes on, and, and the service actually continues to get worse. Not, not just that they weren't around, but just lots of mistakes, the, the kind of things that would lead to like a, a bad Yelp review, like here's what happened and da da da. But we still felt like this is God, that God was saying, I, I want you to do this. And, um, and, it, and it just got worse even. And so, so we, we did so, we, we, we did that with her, um, but it ended up, she was so shocked by the tip that she made a mistake in putting the tip into the system. So she had to come back and say, if you want to do this, you actually have to buy something else so you can tip this way. It was that kind of mistake again. So I had to buy stuff that we didn't even need in order to do this, but we still did it. And it was not an amazing experience when it came to the food or for the service, but none of that mattered because God had already told us what he wanted us to do. He wanted us to express something of love to this person. And when you think about it, that's really how God works with all of us, isn't it? It looks a lot more like how God treats us, that God somehow blesses me even when I don't perform well because of this. Love is not transactional, it's incarnational. Meaning if I have it, I can bring it. It's not dependent on what you earn. It's dependent on what I can give. So discretion means that your weakness does not require me to sacrifice my strength. In fact, I can choose in my strength to cover your weakness. That every offense does not have to be nuclear. (laughs) That in Christ, I can actually absorb some of your failings. But our world is addicted to being offended. We seem bent as a people on tearing each other apart like crabs in a bucket. 
I mean, isn't that what COVID this entire thing has been like? You got maskers and anti-maskers and vaxxers and anti-vaxxers. And, 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 and what's so devastating to me about all of that is this. When we get to heaven, we will either not remember or not care who was vaccinated or who wasn't, who wore masks or who didn't, who got sick, who didn't. The one thing that will carry with us into eternity in heaven is our relationships. We won't remember any of that other stuff. And we know that, that Jesus was about relationships because when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love God, love people. These are the things that matter. These are the things that are eternal. So everything hangs on those things. That being the case, here we are in this world where thoughts on COVID protocols have pit families against one another, have pit friends against one another and torn apart lifelong relationships, have destroyed marriages, all for something that none of us will remember in heaven. But we're allowing it to cause lasting damage to the relationships that we're supposed to be enjoying forever in heaven. We're sacrificing the eternal for the temporal. There has been 700,000 COVID deaths in the United States, and that is tragic. And I have lost friends, and many of you have lost friends. But there is a greater tragedy still. How many relational deaths have we had because of COVID? Because that is the only stat that will continue with us into eternity. Now, I get it. I understand personal conviction. I understand civil concerns. I understand all the discussion around that stuff. But we need prudence in our relationships. We must marry knowledge with discretion. Just because I know this or I think I know this, it doesn't mean I know what to do with it. And it doesn't automatically mean I get to tell you what to do with it. I don't want to see any more COVID deaths, not one more. But I also do not want to see one more COVID relationship death. And guess what? We have a lot of power to change the second one. Because prudence gives the understanding to our relationships. We need that. I'll wrap up with this. I, Several months ago, before we went on sabbatical, I told you about this banana plant, banana palm, that we had gotten from Amazon through the mail and uh, to plant in our yard. And I told you how disappointed I was because the Amazon picture showed this beautiful-looking plant, and what we got was this little little Charlie Brown nothing. And I showed you a picture of it. It, it looked like this. That this is where it started. But I, I want you to see now where it is. Take a look at that. Pretty amazing, right? I find it astounding. But it reminds me of this truth, that in the kingdom, things begin small. They begin humbly. And that is absolutely true when it comes to prudence. 
You may not feel like you're really a very prudent person. You may not have even known what it was before today. But now that you've spent some time with your Aunt Prudence, you might be recognizing that you need it in your life. And so do I. Because prudence, it's like the home edit of our lives. Keep this, reuse this, get rid of this. And to see that lived out, we simply have to ask God to help us grow in this amazing virtue. To help us get to know Aunt Prudence just a little bit better. Maybe you felt like you lack wisdom in your words. Maybe your, your actions aren't reflecting your beliefs. Maybe your relationships, you find them being torn and strained and you lack understanding. Me too. I've felt that. But all of that can change today by reaching out to Jesus. And I guarantee you, it's the prudent thing to do. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. To stay connected with all things Cove Church, visit our website, covechurchpnw.com or on all social media platforms at Cove Church PNW. We'll see you next time.